Good morning. Welcome to the First Universalist Unitarian Church. My name is Jim Moss. I'm a member of the congregation. I want to extend a special welcome to any visitors joining us this morning. Do we have any visitors? Okay, we've got a few. Um, let's see. Uh, since 1858, UU Wassa has served as a vital voice for liberal religion in central Wisconsin. We are an intentionally free society <clears throat> who welcomes all people just as you are, regardless of age, sexual orientation, ethnicity, or economic situation. Wherever you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Between Sundays, we'd like to have you at one of our classes or events. Be sure to subscribe to the church's newsletter and follow us on Facebook or Instagram for updates. I have uh, uh, <clears throat> a few announcements I want to draw your attention to. Uh, sure I do. Announcements, food and friends. Join us in the atrium on February 4th at 1130 for the community potluck. All are welcome to attend, whether you bring a dish to share or simply come with an open heart. The community potluck is a great way to connect with others and learn more about the unique individuals who make up our communities and make it so special. So mark your calendar for February 4th and come join us for a day filled with food, fun, and new friendships. We will be hosting a blood drive for the American Red Cross on February 12th from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. If you are able to volunteer to help on the day of the blood drive or would like to give blood, please see our circuit rider, social media accounts, Email admin at uuwasa.org or call phone number 715-842-3697. And uh, you probably are aware that uh, the blood bank is low on blood, so uh, helping with this would be great. Caring committee, if you are a member needs needing resist, assistance or need some attention from the caring committee, be sure to let Carolyn Powers in the office know. You can reach Carolyn via email at carolyn at uuwasa.org or phoning 715-842-3697. Other volunteer opportunities, uh, we're looking for worship associates and ushers. I'm a worship associate. We've got ushers back there. It's a pretty easy job. There's a sign-up list on the snack table out in the atrium if you'd like to volunteer. Um, 
A reminder to silence any uh, electronic devices. Oh, <laughs> please rise and welcome one another to the congregation. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no opening words are in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Before I share the call to worship words with you this morning, I want to make a brief introduction to the service itself. In 1997, the what was then called Religious Services Committees, had a number of names since then, decided to try to do something a little bit different. So we established a service really celebrating beliefs, the diversity of beliefs we have, the importance of believing. And we began that service in 1997, and for the next five years through 2002, for a total of six years, we had an annual This I Believe service. We decided this year to bring that back, to again really celebrate what belief is for all of us. On this first year, what we decided to do was reach out to individuals who had been worship associates to see if any of them were interested in being participants in the service as service leaders and talking about their beliefs. And we appreciate the fact that three of them this morning, Jim Moss, Anna Gresh, and Carl Drake, were willing to do that. So they are going to be sharing the message this morning with you. 
I also hope this is a little seed that's been planted in some of your heads and your minds and your hearts to think about in future years sharing what you believe. So thank you, Jim and Anna and Carl, for participating this morning. Our call to worship are words written by Kenneth Patton. Kenneth Patton was a 20th century UU theologian known by many of you. And we actually have a few people in this congregation, or had a few people in this congregation, who attended churches that Kenneth Patton was the minister, where Kenneth Patton was the minister. Patton wrote, this house is for the ingathering of nature and human nature. It is a house of friendships, a haven in trouble, an open room for the encouragement of our struggle. It is a house of freedom, guarding the dignity and worth of every person. This house offers a platform for the free voice, for declaring both in times of security and danger the full and undivided conflict of opinion. It is a house of truth-seeking, where scientists can encourage devotion to their quest, where mystics can abide in a community of searchers. It is a house of art, adorning its celebrations with melodies and handiworks. It is a house of prophecy, outrunning times past and times present in visions of growth and progress. This house is a cradle for our dreams, the workshop of our common endeavor. Now I ask that you please rise as you're able and join in our gathering hymn number 347, Gather the Spirit.
For today's Time for All Ages, inspired by today's service, I worked with one of our youth to find a story that encapsulated some of their beliefs. And Rowan is going to share their selection with us this morning. This morning's story is Here We Are, Notes from Living on Planet Earth. It was written and illustrated by Oliver Jeffers and published by Phil Philomel Books. Well, hello. Welcome to this planet. We call it Earth. It is this big floating globe in space on which we live. We're glad you found us, as space is very big. There is so much to see and do here on Earth, so let's get started with a quick tour. The planet is basically made up of two parts, land, rock and dirt, sea, water. Firstly, let's talk about land. It's what we're standing on right now. We have lots of land. Then there is the sea, which is full of wonderful things. We know a bit about the sea, but we'll talk some more about that once you've learned to swim. There's also the sky, though that gets pretty complicated. Okay, moving on. On our planet, there are people. One person, one people is a person. You are a person. You have a body. Look after it, as most bits don't grow back. The most important thing for people to remember is to eat, drink, and stay warm. People come in many shapes, sizes, and colors, and we may all look different, act different, and sound different, but don't be fooled. We are all people. There are animals, too. They come in even more shapes, sizes, and colors. They can't speak, though that's not the reason to not be nice to them. You may not be able to speak yet, either, even though your head is filled with questions. Be patient. You'll learn how to wor use words soon enough. Generally, how it works is that when the sun is out, it is daytime, and we do stuff. The rest of the time is night, and when it's dark, save for the moon, and we sleep. Please. Things can move, sometimes move slowly here on Earth. More often, though, they move quickly, so use your time well. It will be gone before you know it. Though we have come a long way, we have quite yet worked out everything, so there is plenty left for you to do. You will figure out lots of things for yourself. Just remember to leave notes for everyone else. It looks big, Earth, but there are lots of us here. 7,327,450,667 and counting. So be kind. There is enough for everyone. Well, that's planet Earth. Make sure you look after it, because it's all we got. Now, if you needed anything else, just ask. I won't be very far away. And when I am not around, you can always ask someone else. You are never alone on Earth. Thank you. The end. Thank you, Rowan. Children in pre-K through sixth grade are invited to come downstairs for our children's chapel, and I invite everyone to bless those remaining in service and those heading down to RE with our children's song, The Words Are Printed in Your Order of Service.
What I Believe. And I've got four chapters in this. Don't worry, Randy. First chapter, where I started. I was raised Methodist in Portage, Wisconsin. I became an agnostic in college. I was drafted into the Army during the Vietnam War. After Vietnam War, I, after Vietnam, I was stationed in Fort Carson, Colorado, and either on post or someplace in Colorado Springs, I saw a poster about a religious community I had never heard of before, or since, actually. It was about Baha'i. I don't know if you've ever heard of Baha'i. It's a Middle Eastern religion um, originated in ancient Persia, now called Iran. The principles include abandonment of prejudice, full equality for women, responsibility of each person to search for religious truth, recognition that true religion is in harmony with reason and the pursuit of scientific knowledge. We also promote a worldwide language. So, the Baha'i in what is now Iran believed in equality of women in Iran. That must be a challenge because we know that um, the predominant religion there persecutes people who uh, demonstrate equality for women. Some Baha'is have been martyred, just as Unitarians were once martyred by Christians. I didn't connect then with Baha'i, but it got me thinking about choices. Chapter two is searching. Eventually, I married, moved to Stevens Point, and after my first son was born, we picked a nearby Lutheran church to attend, mostly because it was nearby. However, I have this bad habit known as thinking. I think that's a George Carlin quote. I started to notice that I would skip words in the creeds and some of the translated old German hymns. That bothered me. I was wondering, how can I say this? How can I sing this if I don't believe this? So, chapter three, searching for truth and meaning. It happens that I was working at the University Library in Stevens Point. I went down to the reference room and looked for more information about other religions, including Baha'i. Now, Baha'i has some good principles, but their uh, worship pra practices are a little woo-woo to me. <laughs> and I didn't think I could uh, pray three times a day in the lotus position, so that was a no-no. They also developed their own calendar for some reason. Divided up the year into 19 months 
of 19 weeks. I don't know how that works. Anyway, I came across an article about Unitarian principles in the reference room. Seven principles, including the search for truth and meaning. That was what I was looking for. More research and I discovered there was a Stevens Point UU Fellowship in town where I signed the book. Later I moved around the state and finally to Wausau where I signed the book at first UU. Chapter four, how has it changed me? UU has helped me become less strident than I was before and more tolerant of other religious and political beliefs. That is my story and I'm sticking to it. From meditation this morning, I decided to use something that in those past This I Believe services, we'd done as a responsive reading. I thought it lent itself really well to a meditation. The words of Sophia Lyon Foss, Sophia Lyon Foss, some of you may know, some may not, was really a revolutionary Unitarian religious educator she lived 101 years and was active for almost all those 101 years in religious education. So I ask that you center yourself, put your feet flat on the floor, take a deep breath, in and out, And think on these words. Sophia Lyons Foss said, it matters what we believe. Some beliefs are like walled gardens. They encourage exclusiveness and the feeling of being especially privileged. Other beliefs are expansive and lead the way into wider and deeper sympathies. Some beliefs are like shadows, clouding children's days with fears of unknown calamities. Other beliefs are like sunshine, blessing children with the warmth of happiness. Some beliefs are divisive, separating the saved from the unsaved friends from enemies. Other beliefs are bonds in a world community where sincere differences beautify the pattern. Some beliefs are like blinders, 
shutting off the power to choose one's own direction. Other beliefs are like gateways opening wide vistas for exploration. Some beliefs weaken a person's selfhood. They blight the growth of resourcefulness. Other beliefs nurture self-confidence and enrich the feeling of personal worth. Some beliefs are rigid like the body of death, impotent in a changing world. Other beliefs are pliable like the young sapling ever growing with the upward thrust of life. May it be so, and amen. Please take a moment for quiet personal reflection. Amen. And now our meditation hymn, number 1031, filled with loving kindness. You may, may remain seated if you wish to come forward to light a candle at this time or any other time in the remainder of the service. Please do so. In their teal hymnal, 1031, filled with loving kindness.
Can you hear me? Okay. My spiritual journey through life. Well, this story is largely about my dad. And through him, my family life on a small farm in Bayfield County. And let me introduce my dad. He was tall, slim, lanky, good-looking, soft-spoken, and very intelligent. Much like uh, Randy Jefferson. <laughs> he was strong of mind and body and very hard-working. He was my idol. And as a child, I followed him everywhere. As a preteen and throughout my, my high school and college summers, I was my dad's oldest son. In other words, his right-hand farmhand. And I regret not one day, not one minute of it. I was the oldest child, and I learned to drive a tractor at 10, and very soon later to learn to rake hay and bale hay. I sent it up the elevator while Dad was up in the haymow stacking it. I learned to milk the cows with once we had um, uh, milkers, and I could, he could leave for an evening for meetings or special occasions, and I could milk a herd of 40 cows alone and take care of everything. I gardened with my dad like crazy. My parents borrowed money for my education at Madison so that I could stay home during college summers and work on the farm with dad. I was indeed his right-hand man. My dad was churchless when he married my Catholic mom. He converted and was baptized on their wedding day. And all the little old Bohemian and Slovak ladies of Mukwa, Wisconsin, a town of five buildings in rural Bayfield County, eagerly came to church to see him be baptized in their colorful babushkas and their black coats to witness this event, but the knowledgeable priest baptized my dad in the small room off the sacristy well before the wedding ceremony, so it was very private. I don't think dad ever truly became Catholic in the literal sense of the word. When I became a young adult, I realized dad was a humanist. More on this later. I came to this simple farm with my parents when I was three and a half years old. They had four cows and one horse. The neighbors would come with a tractor to help them out. When I was two, so uh, Fritzy would have been uh, just six months old when we came to the farm, Frank Jr., known as Fritzy, was born. Fritzy's birth was traumatic. Mom was tiny, and he was caught in the birth canal, and he came out literally blue. He was resuscitated, but I don't know how long his brain had no oxygen. He was later diagnosed with spastic cerebral palsy, and he had no swallow, uh, initial swallow reflex. So he was fed for weeks 
and even months with an eyedropper he, until he could eventually move his tongue to swallow. He stayed on pureed food until he was 12 so that he wouldn't choke, and he finally could handle ground food. He didn't sit up until age five, and that was due to many visits to a chiropractor because there were no physical therapists um, at that time, 77 years ago. He, but he kept growing, so it was dad who managed to carry him from place to place in the home and the yard until he could crawl. Fritzi was judged to have a cognitive age of two to three years. He never walked one step, nor said one word in his entire 67-year life. He, could, he eventually could crawl and pull himself up to his bed in his chair, and he did that to his dying day. It was not practical for Fritzi to use a wheelchair because of his spastic and writhing movements until later in life when those movements resided some. But Fritzi was a love. He grew into a gentle five foot, 11 inch brother that we all took turns taking care of throughout his life. For me, that meant especially through his childhood because as he learned to crawl and crawl fast, he got into trouble and danger faster than I sometimes could run. He would look around and see if we were watching. And then he would crawl to the farm ditch where there was rainwater and blow bubbles face down or crawl, into the cow, crawl, crawl up to the cow tank to do the same. Or he would crawl up to the grain bin to sift his hand through the grain where he could suffocate. And of course, we kids had to run and get Fritzy. Dad soon worked out at day jobs so that he would have the money to grow and improve his farm, buying more land and more cattle and breeding until his cattle were purebred and milking, was, he had, and milking huge amounts, until he and mom had a very successful farm of 40 plus cows, 60 young stocks, and were able to travel. Mom took care, in, when I was a child, mom took care of bringing in the wooden water because we didn't have any in those days, taking care of Fritz and my younger brothers and helping with the garden and canning. I had my share of chores, as you can imagine, also carrying in wooden water and learning to milk by hand by the time I was eight. During evening chores and all weekends, though, I followed my father everywhere. Mom was cool, but Dad was super cool. I couldn't wait till Dad came home from his day job so I could go with him down the lane to get the back 40 to get the cows, and we would talk and sing all the way. And once the cows were in the barn, my father kept sharing knowledge with me. I would sit on a little stool across the gutter from him as he milked. And when I was in the second grade and I was practicing my times table with him on that little stool, he told me, you know, you're a very smart young lady and you're going to go to college. My father had been taken out of school after the eighth grade by my newly divorced grandmother who expected my father to farm the farm and support her and his four siblings. Yet, this was a father who seemed to know everything 
I had no idea at that time how much he read and learned. He was a non-schooled but highly educated man. What, but what I loved best, as I take a drink of water, those hypertension pills are just lovely on the mouth. Okay, but what I loved best about being at the right hand of Dad each evening and each weekend was that he taught me all the names of the wildflowers in our 80 acres of woods, how to identify all the trees in the area, even the lichens and mosses, he taught me to identify bird songs. He laid on the grass with me, pointing out the constellations, the Milky Way, and the Aurora Borealis. Remember, this was rural northern Wisconsin where there was no light pollution. He described the working of bees and taught me to listen to the crunch of the snow and the cracking of ice in Lake Superior. He taught me how to make tea from the spring basswood tree blossoms, how ramps and wild woods are, how, to, how fiddlehead ferns and young dandelion greens were edible. We picked ramps or wild leeks together, and I do this to this day. Being good bohemians, we went mushroom picking together, morels in the spring, cinnamon tops or button mushrooms in the fall. He taught me how to graft apple and pear trees in our orchard and how the different varieties, how the varieties of apples different. And he and I were partners in creating beautiful flower beds. I also, as a child, was observing the relationship between my mother and father in keeping Fritzi alive. Fritzi was born with poorly developed lungs and was expected to live only eight to 10 years. Dad was calm and effective in caring for Fritzi when he had almost daily grand mal seizures for several years. Of course, Mom was nervous and worried, but Dad just gently arranged Fritzi's body for safety, and he sometimes took him into the night air to see if it would bring him out of it. Because Fritzi kept growing and was very spastic in arm and leg movements, it was difficult for Mom to dress Fritzi. So dad did it each night and often in the morning as well before work. And I watched all this as a child and an adolescent. And in the last 10 years of my dad's life, he took full charge of all of Fritzi's care. Bathing, dressing, changing his diaper, as mom's arthritis was so bad she could no longer perform any of Fritzi's activities of daily living except to feed him. And during those last years, my younger brothers, and, who were adults by this time and lived up in Ashland, would often visit and see Dad rustling Fritzy's hair as he changed and diapered him and put him to bed each night, or saw him watching TV westerns holding Fritzy's hand as they sat on the couch at two in the morning watching the black and white ones. Don't get me wrong, I am acutely aware that my mother had a major part in keeping Fritzy alive and well and teaching us kids that he was a loved part of our family. And if there's a heaven, she's at the front door, welcoming all the disabled children into that portal. But she never could have done that job without my dad. And somewhere in South Central Kenya last week and the week before, a house was built for a family by my daughter and her husband and three of my grandchildren. And in it is a framed copy 
of a picture you'll see on the screen. And over the door is a plaque that reads, in memory of two gentle giants, Grandpa Frank Kramalis and Uncle Fritzy, because that is how my children and grandchildren also see him. I present this picture of Dad as a backdrop to my beliefs. I didn't go to Catholic school, but I had to go to two weeks of catechism each summer until confirmation taught by the nuns. It didn't take long before I became confused by the rules of the church and I began questioning. The nuns weren't happy with my precocious questions, so I went to my dad. How is it possible that both eating meat on Friday and murdering another human being are both mortal sins and you go to hell? What was purgatory or limbo and why did unbaptized babies go there? And how do we know that happens? How could a simple confession wipe out the sin of murdering another person? My dad simply answered that a lot of rules were initiated by men in a culture and a time long past, for our, and they were done for guidance. When I asked him how he could relate to the Latin mass, which I didn't understand, he responded, I don't mind that I don't understand. The beauty and serenity of the melodic chanting, the smell of the incense, the lovely music are awesome and relaxing. My dad wouldn't have used the word meditation, but that's what he was describing. He said it was important for man to take a day to rest if he could, and that church offered peace and community. I worried at a, as a preteen that we were eating meat on Fridays, but that was explained as being practical so dad would have the protein that was needed to work hard in the field as well as do a day job all day. When I questioned whether we would go to hell because we didn't go to church as a family all the time, Dad said, if there is a God, who is to say I can't bail hay because the sun is shining? Or that one parent couldn't go to work, go to church because we couldn't find a babysitter for Fritzy that Sunday. Dad again reminded me that those rules were guidance, that if we could go, it was a good rest from the trials of the hard work of the rest of the week. Dad taught me that what was really important was to live a good, honest life, to treat everyone with respect and equanimity, that no one was better than anyone else. He taught me to share whatever I had with people less fortunate, and he especially taught me to take care of this earth, teaching me several conservation principles and why they were important. As a result, in high school, I competed in several area conservation speaking contests, and I won substantial scholarships of $500 and $1,000 each for college. My dad didn't know it, but he was a UU person. He lived by each of the seven principles. Thus, by the time I left home at 18 for Madison, I would admit I was a Catholic in name only. But what I did leave with was knowledge of compassion, the knowledge of love, the acceptance of others, and a love for nature, so, a love so intense that in addition to majoring in speech pathology, I took five botany courses along with basic biology. And that love for nature is even more intense today. Dad taught me to not only appreciate and identify, 
but truly understand how the ecology of plants and animals work together to coexist. Like my father, I believe I have evolved into a humanist. I don't believe that there is a male god above us watching over everything we do, nor do I worry about the existence of heaven and hell. We create those here on earth. What is important is what we do about our existence in the short time we have here. How do we live? How do we help others? How do we share the gifts that we were born with or developed over time? How do we take care of this beautiful earth that we're lucky enough to live on? My job, I have been blessed in many ways with a phenomenal partner in marriage and, and, and after my husband died, another partner, with my family, my education, my career, and the opportunity to travel around the world. But my job in the past several years has been then to pay back, to help others in any way I can, and I am absolutely so thrilled that I finally found the UU congregation in Wassa. I have definitely found my tribe. And as our hymn says, if they ask what I did well, tell them I said yes to life. Thank you. One purpose of the church is to encourage all who gather here to grow more generous in spirit and in action. This is the great end of all the world's faith traditions, to bring the human being closer to the divine by acts of creation and compassion. We now take an offering that allows us to exercise that all-important generosity of spirit, an offering that will support it, support this self-supporting church and its many ministries. The gifts of the congregation will be most gratefully received.
I'm going to apply the worship leader's prerogative this morning of deciding to change the service, and I'm going to skip the reading. So any of you who want to know about Kent Nurburn's spiritual journey, I'll do it another service. Margaret, let's have the musical meditation.
so now it's my turn. Before I get into this, I believe, I want to apologize. <clears throat> as a result of another birthday, I'm now the same age as old people. Uh, I've never been this old before, and so I don't really know how to act my age. Um, Randy tells me I, I tend to do a lot of multitasking, which we define as putting both feet in my mouth at the same time. So bear with me. This I believe. I consider that to be a synonym for why the heck are you here, Carl? And I'm going to answer that question obliquely by sharing with you an anecdote involving Rachel Maddow. About two or three months ago, Rachel did a podcast with Chris Hayes. I think it was last November. And at the end of the podcast, she asked if anybody had questions. And an audience member stood up and said, what can we expect in the year 2024? Will it be a good year? Will it be a bad year? And she responded, possibly good. Probably 80% probability it's going to be a catastrophe in many ways. So the follow-up question then became, how do we cope? How do we face this potential catastrophe? And she had a bunch of very interesting responses, which I want to share with you, and which I think gets more to the point. Rule number one, turn off your cell phone right now. Rule number two, you must read voraciously, both fiction and nonfiction. Remember, we're trying to defend against insanity here. Rule number three, visit all your friends frequently, in person. Make new friends. Rule number four, become part of a community. And this is where you can see where I'm going. <clears throat> Go join the Y. Go visit the landing. Go to church. Find a community and become a part of it. And rule number five, get a dog or a cat or a hamster. So this is where the parallel between what Rachel is saying and what I'm thinking begins, the UU Church is my community. <clears throat> I depend on our interaction to protect my sanity when confronted by intellectual craziness. And I think most of you do too. You didn't probably know that. In fact, I engage in a mini community within this greater community. As Margaret says, join the choir, join the drum club, engage in soul matters become a worship associate, take on a leadership role within the church. This will protect your sanity. For me, the church has become the magic sauce to remaining intellectually and spiritually strong. 
I want to finish by reading you a poem by Donna Ashworth about the year 2024. No, 2024 perhaps won't be your best year yet, nor will it be the worst. You see, a year is a mosaic of absolutely everything. Joy, fear, heartache, loss, beauty, pain, love, failure, learning, friendship, misery, exhilaration. Each day, each moment even, is a tiny shard of glass in this beautiful, confusing creation. 2024, like all the years before, will be another mosaic to add to your wall of art, a wall that shows the life you are continuously given, a wall that shows you are human, a wall of survival. I wish you many broken pieces of glass this year, my friends, because this is living. And before you march on to another year of everything, pause to look back at the work you have created thus far. It is quite something. You are quite something. Now on we go, my friends. Onwards we very much go. Thanks. <clears throat> and now will you please join me In the closing hymn 354, we laugh, we cry. Please stand as you are able.
Good words this morning from Nancy Wood. Hold on to what is good, even if it is a handful of dirt. Hold on to what you believe, even if it is a tree which stands by itself. Hold on to what you must do, even if it is a long way from here. Hold on to one another's hand, even when we have gone away from here. Start to 